Welcome to Not Just Talk Radio, a modern-day movement offering a platform where real talk and new perspectives are transformed into action and evidence. Your host is LaTanya Jr., along with co-hosts Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. LaTanya is known for her unconventional brilliance and humanitarian scope of interest. They're ready to share both wit and wisdom. Now, here is LaTanya, Tina, and Tony. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> I know there's no Tina and Tony today. Sure, they have no good mo- day off. Hi, Jill Carter. Absolutely. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? How's China? How's China? It's good. It's cold. It's gloomy, but it's here. So, and I'm here. Um, well, you know, how I'm, are you today? I'm down on my farm. It's cold outside up north, and that's why I'm down here on my farm. I'll come back and hang up north with you when the uh, weather changes. <laughs> but it's lovely down here. I'm going to burn some pecans when this is all over. This is a special show, Jewel. It's a full circle for you and I. Absolutely, it is. But I want to say before we start talking about that, today was National Day of Mourning there, right? Former President George H.W. Bush being remembered. A very, you know what, thank you for mentioning that because I get so excited sometimes. So I appreciate you pulling me back to the ground. Is it, yeah, the, the funeral procession is going on right now where all the other presidents are participating. I think what what's so wonderful, you know, they keep saying that this is a changing of the guards permanently because he's one of the last presidents Mm. as you know that worked across the line encouraged it but I just love the fact that he was so focused on family and community Um, it just makes my heart warm and we send a lot of love a lot of love to everyone right absolutely this is absolutely this is historic yep 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 so if you're listening around the world as we know you are look up a little research on that because we're not we haven't always been the country we are now. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. You know, and just back in the day when we had respect for the office, regardless to what side you were on, we still respected the person that was in that office. Um, and it's a little different. But I don't live there now, so I guess I, I'm not going to say Oh, you're coming back because you're from Harvey. And you know how. I am coming back. I am coming back. Absolutely. <laughs> you're from Harvey. And so you know how we roll. <laughs> uh, but that's... Yes. Yes. Yeah, speaking of Harvey, a lot of great things came out of Harvey, right? Man. Okay. So let's 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 build our listening audience up because a lot of Harvey people <laughs> responded on social media, going, "We got somebody from Harvey," and you know, I have always as a a grand a, a what a grand Ogilvy marketer, and you know, I my hobby is history, and so I've always loved Harvey, and and you and I have gone back over the years and given a couple of lessons and workshops and. But I think sometimes we forget, and and I wanted to do this show with this legend, not just because we have a special connection, and I think the story needs to be heard for every generation and re-reminded, but I also want people to know communities go through transformation and they change, but we have the power with a combination of adjusting who we are, changing who we are, transforming who we are, changing leadership, participating in community, crossing the lines, you know, crossing the lines. Uh Um, And as you and I know, when we grew up in Harvey, it had gone already through its peaks and lows. People don't realize this. At one point in the 50s, Harvey, Illinois was the number one place to live in America. I don't think people realize that Harvey is the first adoption center for people of color in the United States that was legally 
um, 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 created, and it was there for many, many years, and it became the model around the, 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 the world um, in regards to a legally adopting children of color. Um, the NAACP would stop there often for their meetings, and it's where the book for the NAACP was contrived, and Harvey was a mecca for factories, and you know, but it had its peaks, peaks and valleys. Um, you know what I think is really sexy? Most people don't realize Harvey was created by the Turlington with um, some help of Moody, with the Moody Bible, to be the number one Christian place to live. <laughs> wow. I it's, had no that's idea. How it, it, that's how it was promoted around the World's Fair. We're going to create a town, and it's going to have a framework of the Moody Bible, and it's going to be the number one Christian place. And here <laughs> I'm telling you, Harvey ended up in <laughs> bars and partying and... Like, <laughs> they just got a little off course. It's got a little off course, but we, you know, I believe that you know history and um, I've studied towns and cities and work with mayors and members of Congress and things like that, as you know, and and even the Senate personally to transform cities. I know Harvey, Harvey can come back. I know it can, and 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 it takes a lot of work. But it's possible because historically it's always you can't be perfectly bad because there's no such thing as perfect. Right. Mm, absolutely not. And I miss bad. I miss I miss my city. I miss, you know, uh, all of our fondest memories as children growing up back when we had lemonade stands and all of that. And I have to tell you, the last time I went home when my father passed and I my kids had come there for the first time and I'm driving them through my old neighborhood, you know, over by across from the village on the other side of Dixie Mall. And and my kids said, Mom, you never told us you lived in the projects. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You never lived in the projects, Jill Carter. <laughs> and that wasn't the project. I'm like, yeah, it I'm looks like a it. little different now. Um, and it just, re- I literally cried because it just, so much of that town, it just, every other house was boarded up. And it's just, and I still saw the potential. I still see yeah. the potential. It's gone through it. tough it just, times. It needs some love. It needs yeah, something. Some so, Harvey, you know. people, hold your heads up. Um, and Thanks. here's what I think is the big thing. The people that had the leadership skills and those skills that says, we're going to define who we are as a town and a city and a community, they moved out. As you know, we moved out. Those people in the early 80s started to move out. The whole country started to change. But enough about Harvey, because we know a lot of people are listening from Harvey, and we know you can get better, and we know you will get better. But let's talk about our daddies, because (laughs) you and I don't say it often, even though, as you know, I spoke to my father literally every day of my life. If he was not on stage... That day performing, I am that child that called every morning. And, you know, I've documented him video for on video for over 20 years. So I've mm-hmm. squeezed a lot out of daddy. Um, right. and, and, and so you and I have been the two Dells children that had a special connection, probably because we left, you know, we left Chicago so young and connected. Right. Um, and I had quite the opposite with my dad. I didn't talk to him every day, but when we did talk, it was as though no time had passed. And he, oh, you know, he was perfect. And it was the weirdest connection. And it was the strange, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was there. Remember in Savannah, Georgia? Lord have Uncle, Uncle Johnny comes in like we've been seeing him every day. Just right, right on time. Absolutely. He did Absolutely. exactly. Never missed a he, beat. Yep. But, and I tell people, you know what? He took the gift he was given, and he was the best mm-hmm. he could at that gift. And the rest we forgive. 
including my Absolutely. father. He took the best he had, and that's Absolutely. what we love about. And so I'm gonna now. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed take our talents to. And, and share them with the world. They are not ours; they are ours to give. And and I that know. brings us to a man that I believe has done that for the last what 49 years. Right. Has shared his amazing gift, his amazing talent, made people laugh. Has well, I'm gonna I'm so gonna much. prep it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna prep it. Go ahead. This is a cool story, and um, Mr. Ta- he he doesn't. He says, "Tanya, don't call me Mister." But you know, you know, Marvin would <laughs> strangle me. It's either Uncle. I can say, but I don't want right. to say that. I don't want to say Uncle right. Tom. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say it. It's a punchline. That's why I have to go with Mister, because he would be Uncle Tom. So. That being said, and don't this this just sort of because there's a lot to this story, and 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 he and I have had some beautiful conversations. I wish we would have had more over the years, but what I have, I'm going to cherish. Um, over 500 appearances on television. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. over 61, including 61 appearances on on um, Tonight Show. A David Letterman fan, just not Vegas. But how about the 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 main show rooms in Vegas? Um, Sammy Davis Jr. and Liza Minnelli and Natalie Cole and Smokey Robinson. 14 years. 14 years opening on tour with Frank Sinatra. And, 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 and then he's done things with Bon Jovi and, and Elton John. And it, what you're seeing is a pattern of knowing how to connect to, with people and wow. generations and the diversity of his, of his portfolio of experience, not including going back to Harvey, talking to kids, not including all of um, the wonderful uh, times he's performed for no money at all because he's a giver, right? He's a giver and he supports so many non-for-profits and he's been in in television shows and movies and and a wonderful book, which I have that book. It took me a minute to get... I'm going to have to get on these folks because I'm you and I are both authors, too. It took me 10 days to get uh, Tim uh, and Tom, American Economy, Black and White, uh, Comedy, Black and White. And I've been reading it and it's a wonderful book. And I, I love hearing that he was telling jokes at age seven and his uncle's bar, Frank, and his mother was a bartender. Just as wonderful. And he reminded me. My mother me of, was a bartender. Look at that. Something else in common. That is. A- <laughs> <laughs> But here you can find something. Do you know he won the Ellis Island Medal of Honor? And what that is, I mean, presidents have won that. Two Nobel Peace Prize winners have won it. It's really an honor for saying you have accomplished being a great citizen. I mean, Mm. this we have a we're about to just unfold because we're going to sit back and listen to this wonderful storytelling. And it's such an honor. My heart is warm. I went to sleep thinking about my dad um, Mm -hmm. and thinking about how two people from two different cultures during a very difficult time, it was really okay. And if only people that listen today take from that, take from that, I'm dying to find out what did his mom and daddy do or say where it was really okay for him to just love and be a friend and and communicate um, and, and call people his friend that was of a different skin color during a very difficult time with that said and done Harvey Illinois you should be very proud Mm -hmm. and you will come back when you are ready and I think all of you guys are ready whether you know it or not that being said and done Jewel let's go ahead and bring Mr. Tom Dreesen uh, 
to 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 our round table. How about that? Yay. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can call me Uncle Tom if you want, because I knew when you were a baby. <laughs> you know, I, I you know. First of all, let me say hello to Jill, and and let you know that your father. In my 50 years in show business, this will be my, in 20, I started in 69, and in mm-hmm. 2019, next year will be my 50th year in show business. Your father was the finest first tenor that ever, 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 ever graced the stage. Uh, there was no one could sing like Johnny Carter, that first tenor style. And of course, Marvin, you know, Latanya, you know that your daddy and I were friends since we were children, since I was a you know, little boy. Uh, and, and, you know, he certainly was the greatest lead singer in a group that I had ever heard. I worked with them. I toured with them. Before I was ever in show business, I, w- I saw their shows. I knew all their songs. I, uh, they, were, they were the pride of Harvey, Illinois. When I was in the service, I, I returned. I came back from overseas, and the first, I got on a car with a bunch of guys, and we were going to go to New York City, and the first thing that came on their radio was the Dell singing, Oh, what a night, and I mm-hmm. almost cried in the car. I kept saying, these are my homeboys. I know these guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, no. There were six of us in this car going into the city. I said, no, I do know them, you know, and I'm calling out their names. It's Marvin and Chuck and Johnny and Mike and Mickey, you know, we call them Mickey, you know, and Vern Allison. And, and Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you may have known. I said, no, these are my friends. I really, you know, I was so proud that, I, that here I am, you know, you know, even overseas. When you'd hear their records, it was thousands of miles away from home, but they brought home to me, you know. And uh, anyhow, so, so I, I, you know, I, I was, your fathers were friends of mine, but I was also a big fan of both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, your, for, name was, your name was really popular uh, around yes. town and in the house. And, of course, when you go down the list of people that, what they call made it in, in Harvey, uh, you know, your, it was always Tom Dreesen. Isn't there a block named after you there? Yeah, they named the 155th Street on a block. Hey, that's big time, Mr. Dreesen. 155th (laughs) Street is like Broadway and Harvey. (laughs) It it was at one time. but but, uh, Well, look, when you think about Harvey, Illinois, so our listeners will, who are not from Harvey, let me give you just a little bit, aside from the fact that when I grew up in Harvey, it was a thriving metropolis, and it was before these young ladies' time. It was a thriving metropolis where they had steel mills and factories, you know, Perfection Gear and Wyman Gordon and Alice Chalmers and uh, uh, the Whiting Corporation. They made everything from crankshafts to clutch plates. Uh, people worked in Harvey, shopped in Harvey, banked in Harvey, went to church in Harvey. At one time, there were 36 churches in Harvey. Uh, and also, there were 36 taverns. So there was a little, a little <laughs> counterbalance there. And, 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 and uh, anyhow, so it was a thriving metropolis. Um, yeah, I, I think you had mentioned in the book your grandmother came one day and said, how do y'all live with all this noise? And and you were like, what noise? Because that's literally Harvey didn't sleep. It was constantly moving, right? That, not only that, the, I, we lived on 147th and Page at that time upstairs of a tavern. So the Grand Trunk Railroad went through by 147th. Three or four times a night, you know, screaming. Uh, the the the, the uh, Alice Chalmer, I mean the Wyman Gordon, the hammer shops were pounding all night long. But we didn't hear it because we grew up with it. You know, we didn't hear it. The, the 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 other thing too, why Harvey, I believe will survive. I go back to Harvey often to speak to the students at Thornton High School, 
And what, years ago, when I would go to speak to the students, it would take 15 to 20 minutes to calm them down. They would be, you know, talking back and forth. Maybe a fight would break out while you're in the classroom or something. There was arguments and problems. And then along came a couple of great educators, uh, Quinn Buckner's sister being one. Um, but yeah. uh, they, they, they came. And then now today, they, the, at Thornton, they have a, their principal is a former Marine, uh, eight years in the Marine Corps. And they came in the first year and told them, we come to teach and you come to learn. If you violate that, you're out of here. In the first year, they had 33 suspensions. In the following year, they had three. Now when you go to Thornton, the, the high school is the same as it was when we went there. But the students are polite, respectful. The, the teachers hug them, tell them, look, we love you, but if you get out of line, you're yeah. out of here. And, and, yeah. and they are the, they're the finest students. And I tell them all the time when I go there, you are the future. You know, some of them have to walk through gang-infested neighborhoods to get to the high school. You know, it's so amazing how, because Jewel and I actually, you know, we're 1960 babies, early 60 babies, I won't tell our age this week, but we had this beautiful space of Harvey. Fortunately, when we were in school, there were no gangs. I mean, I remember riding my bike all the way across town and just leaving it and picking it up, you know, going into a friend's house for four or five hours. And so it was very challenging for most people in, in, in my generation um, that have returned. Because our generation did, don't you think we did really well, Jewel, when I, I speak to my classmates? Absolutely. And, and the only and, rivalry we had was, even to this day, you went to the crappy school where I did go to Thornton. You, yeah, you went to that other school that we don't talk about still. I was I bust. The real, the real high school. Mr. Dreesen, okay. I was bust. <laughs> They bust me away. Um, um, <laughs> and they were having challenges. Um, they did not want us colored kids, not even in the 80s, bust to their school. But we, we, we did just fine. And, and I and yeah. was such a learning. But I want to get deep dive a, a little further because, you know, um, so many people are familiar with Tim Reed and Tom Dreesen and, and, and how you guys brought this wonderful salt and pepper team together. And I couldn't figure out you know, I, I, I read about you starting at seven and, and telling jokes and you would bounce around at these little bars and do deliveries and all this kind of stuff. But I was trying to figure out how did a white guy end up being such close? You know, you talk about Gucci a lot. We all knew Gucci. Gucci was Uncle Gucci to me, um, mm-hmm. children um, and, and family. How did that happen during that time where you being Snow White, <laughs> there was no doubt about it end up having so many black friends. Now, I know Gucci, you, you were being bullied a little bit, and Gucci stepped in and said nobody messes with him, period. But how did your family dynamics work that out? Was that something you were just taught? Well, we were poor. First of all, let me, let me start with, I had eight brothers and sisters, and we lived in a shack. Five of us slept in one bed at one time. We had no bathtub and no shower and no hot water. It was a rat-infested, roach-infested shack, and it wasn't during the Depression. I'm not that old, but... I, so I grew up poor. I grew up shining shoes in taverns, setting pins in bowling alleys, caddying in the summertime, uh, selling newspapers on the corner of the Harvey Tribune, had a paper route, all of this to feed my brothers and sisters. And, and, and doing so, being raised that way, you know, you, you, there's just something about that that it, it, it keeps you humble. It keeps you humble and, and, uh, and also uh, gives you a great deal of character. I, I, whenever I say this, this is the childhood I had, I also... End it with saying, and that's the greatest thing that ever happened to me growing up that right. poor. You know, right. uh, now, right. you know, you know, yeah, now that that's, but you know, I know you're being very humble, but that's something special because uh, you know, people know I I bounce between New York and and the South, 
then there are some people that have that same poor experience. And because they're having it, they think, oh, the other people of the other colors taking my job or taking an opportunity or and, and, and hatred. But I'm telling you, I've, I've read the book. I've, I've, I've heard and known you since you probably remember when I was born, probably. Um, I do. And I know my dad admired you, respected you, and looked at you as one of his brothers and would protect you equally as he would protect anyone. But let me tell you, there's something special going on. I mean, here you are um, in Harvey. Clearly, your mom could have said and your dad could have said, don't play with black kids. That that apparently didn't happen. You end up on the Chitlin circuit. When I was reading hmm. that story about on the Chitlin circuit and you were in Harlem, and that 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 question that joke hit the the, the that the club Harlem. Remember club Harlem? And yeah, it was the that club Harlem in Atlantic that, City, New Jersey. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> and 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 the audience went the the room went completely quiet. You can hear people breathe, and then the laughter came. You were trying probably trying to figure out should I run, but the fact that you had other options, a uh, uh, good looking man, talented man. What was it like being the only white guy on the Chitlin circuit? And what was the difference when you performed in front of a white audience as that salt and black and salt and pepper, you and Tim and Tom, um, uh, um, versus in the Chitlin circuit? I, I, wanted to just get, I just want to deep dive there for a minute. I'll explain to your audience again who doesn't know. Tim Reed and I were America's first black and white comedy team. History shows we were the last. We were the first and the last. Uh, and again, that was 49 years ago when we started. We broke up uh, after six years. But what happened was I w- I, we were in the JC's, a civic group in Harvey. Tim had graduated from Norfolk State College, a historical black college, and E.I. Yeah. Uh, e. DuPont recruited him into Chicago as a marketing rep. He moved to Markham, Canterbury Gardens over there in Markham, and he, he at first day at the bank, the vice president of the bank said, hey, you know, you should uh, join the Harvey JC's because he, he was in it. Tim joined the JC's, and that first night I was proposing a drug education program to teach grade school children the ills of drug abuse with humor. It's a concept that I had for years, and, and uh, I had written this program. Uh, JCs were basically called Junior Chamber of Commerce in those days, but they were young men of action, ages 18 to 36, that attacked the problems of the community. Whatever problems your community were having, they, they, they we were taught leadership training, how to serve on a committee, how to chair a committee, and how to find out how we can solve the problems of our community. And, uh, and so it was, that was very active in that. And the, the biggest problem Harvey was having at that time, then as now, is our youth and drugs. So mm-hmm. I wrote this program, and they were, at that time they were not teaching uh, drug education at a college or high school level, let alone at an elementary school level. But I thought we had to get to these kids when they were young. Uh, Tim and I worked on this project. Uh, we, we brought music into the classroom and, and did jokes off of one another. And we'd get the kids' attention, then we'd plant the seeds. The program became number one in 50 states and in 22 foreign countries through the JC's uh, publications as a model program on how to teach drug education at an elementary school level. And we had so much fun with the students. One day, and a little girl, eighth grade girl, said, you guys are so funny, you ought to become a comedy team. And the thought of a black-white comedy team intrigued us because no one had ever done that before. So we, we, we started sitting down writing what we thought was material, and the first thing I did was I said, my only connection to show business is, are the Dells. And, and Tim was so impressed because he was from Norfolk, Virginia. He said, you know the Dells? You really know the mm-hmm. Dells? And I said, no, I do. I said, no, you've seen them and, you, you, and, and you're a fan. I said, no, 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 they're my childhood friends. You know, I, I grew up with, with the guys. So anyhow, 
they, they, your dad, they were a little bit older than I was, but <clears throat> I knew them all. So we go over your, your house, Latanya, and, and your dad, you know, talked to your dad. I said, Marvin, we want to become a comedy team. And he's, oh, man, that's a great idea. You know, Bob, he's going on. And he encouraged us, gave us a whole bunch of advice. Uh, but he said, as we were walking out the door, he said, you know, they're going to try to break you up, don't you? And we said, who? We were on your front porch. Your dad was on, on the front porch, on the, the, the front landing there. Tim and I were on the sidewalk going out to the car. He said, they're going to try to break you up. And we said, who? He said, they. I said, they. Yeah. He said, yeah, they. they were, there are people out there, black and white and brown and red, whatever. They're going to try to break you up when they see that you get along so well. That, it's called divide and conquer. And, you know, and, and be careful because they're going to come to you, Tim, and say, you don't need this white boy. You don't need this white boy. You're funnier than this white boy. And Tom, they're going to come to you saying, you don't need and your daddy. You know, Wardy. Yeah. Oh, I know. Daddy. <laughs> yeah, you don't need. He said, you're funnier than him. So, so my point, my, Tim and I, we, we like bonded going together. No one's going to break us up. <laughs> but, of course, it did happen one day that somebody came along and, and tried to divide and conquer. And that's exactly what they did. It broke the team up. Mm. But we are still the best of friends. Uh, his children, as you know, call me Uncle Tom. Uh, his children, <laughs> were, yeah, Tim Jr. and and Tori, and and a quick funny story that I told uh, Latanya, Joe, that we when Tim and I wrote the book Tim and Tom on American Comedy in Black and White, we um, uh, we went on tour, and one place we went was his old college, Norfolk State College, and I hadn't seen his daughter Tori in a year, and I was in a buffet, and there were eight black college professors at the buffet with me. We were having a little lunch before we'd go speak to the students. And Tori walked into the room, and she might have been 100 feet away or something, but she saw me. And she said, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom. She's screaming across the room, Uncle Tom. And these eight college black professors turned around and looked at her, and I said, she, she's talking to me. And I walked over to give her a big hug. Yeah. Well, we're going to go to break. And when I come back, I, I, of course, I want to deep dive a little bit into Frank Sinatra and Liza Minnelli. Because I want people to know um, this journey and 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 to mirror it and to look and you know say hey look Tom Dreesen did it out, out of Harvey and all this good stuff so we're going to take a break on not just talk radio um, tell your family and friends and all that good stuff and we'll be right back. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age. From relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune into Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get Amplified. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to Not Just Talk Radio. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to lj at notjusttalkradio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome, welcome, Not Just Talk Radio. We're back to Harvey, Illinois in the house. Harvey, Illinois, Mr. (laughs) Tom, Jason, and Joe Carter, of course. Uh, We're going to deep dive. We're going to go deep dive back into the Chitlin circuit. And for those young folks, just just sit back and listen to some of these stories. Um, And so... Mr. Dreesen, give us some Chitlin Circuit storytelling. First of all, to describe to the young black folks and white folks who do not know, the Chitlin Circuit was, were black-owned, black-operated nightclubs. That, uh, that term was given an affectionate term to these clubs. It started in the era, way back in the era, when blacks couldn't work white clubs. And, and right. if they did, when they finally could, then they had to stay in the other end of town. In those days, they called it Color Town and stuff like that. Sammy Davis used to tell me when I toured with Sammy, he'd tell me amazing stories about it. But the, when Tim Reed and I started out as a comedy team, you know, there were no comedy clubs in America. Uh, so you had to work wherever you could, you know, all over the south side of Chicago, the guys and gals lounge, the dating club lounge, um, the, the burning sphere of the high chaparral, where I worked with the Dells, you know, the high chaparral. Oh, the high chaparral. My goodness, I forgot. Yeah, on, on the south side. Well, it, you know, Lura Lean's and Lums and the places like that. So Tim and I would, 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 you know, we'd work all these black clubs. And then later when you, we got on the tour, like the Sugar Shack in Boston, the 20 Grand in Detroit, that was when Motown was in Detroit. And so all the Motown acts would break in at this club. It was owned by a guy named Bill Cabush, who was a gangster, but he had a... a he, he had this club where, where, like, the Temptations would break in, the OJs, the, the Dinah Ross and the Supremes at Smokey. Before they went on to Vegas, they would break their acts in there. 
and Tim and I worked there as well. So, but when you got to the Club Harlem, the Club Harlem in Atlantic City, it was before there was gambling. The Club Harlem was the apex of the Chitlin Circuit. And most nightclubs in those days, you opened on Monday and you closed on a Saturday night. The Club Harlem, you opened Saturday night and you closed on the following Friday. First show, opening night, was 10 o'clock at night. Second show was 2 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> the third show was 6 o'clock in the morning. The breakfast show, Sunday morning, 6 a.m. And all the waiters and the waitresses and the bartenders and the night people would come to the breakfast show. But... All, they came, all the pimps with their ladies would come from Newark, from Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the place would be just mobbed. You know, 1,370 people would be mobbed. And I was the only white boy in there. And <laughs> when Tim and I, they, they would introduce us, the show would open with Mama Lou Parks and her dancers. It was a heavyset black woman who had all these young kids dancing, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, you know, um, music. And they opened the show and got the show rocking. Then there would be a, a, a black singing group of guys and a black singing group of girls, the Quiet Elegance, the Sons of Robin Stone. And then there was comedy, and then the headliner would be Smokey or, or the Temps or the OJs or whoever. And uh, there would be five acts on the bill. But the, when it was time for Tim and I, the MC would come out and say, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we got a comedy team here from Chicago. This team came all the way from Chicago, and it's the first time this team is appearing here. Welcome the comedy team of Tim and Tom, and Tim would walk out by himself. And he'd say, we're really happy to be here. Thank you very much. And pretty soon people in the audience would say, you know, we came in this morning and, and it was raining when we came. And Tim's out there by himself. And, and the audience, say, they'd be sitting mumbling, I don't, I see we, I see he. You know, who, who, where's this we? And then I would slowly come out stage left, just slowly and the spotlight would hit me. And then you'd hear, uh-oh, look out. What do we got here? You know, and then all that kind of stuff, you know. And then I'd slowly work my way looking into the audience while Tim is talking, and I'd get to center stage. And Tim would say, where have you been, man? What the hell's going on here? I'd say, I don't see any of my people out there. And Tim would look around and he'd say, no, I don't think any of your people are here. And then you hear, and Tim, Tim, I'd, I'd get real close to Tim, put my arms around him and say, well, we better be funny. And he said, what do you mean, we, white man? You know, of course, that, that, that got us going. But the, the difference, and then we'll jump to the other stuff, but the difference, you know, and, I, and I worked black clubs for years. In fact, I have an album in front of an all-black audience called That White Boy is Crazy. And yeah, I, I recorded mm-hmm. it in I was Harvey. looking for that. I was looking for yeah, that, Yeah, I recorded actually. it in Harvey. Uh, it used to be, it was called Benji's. Uh, it was a little yes. club called Benji's. Mm-hmm. And it, my, it was my mother Curry. worked at Benji's. <laughs> 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 my mother was a bartender at Benji's, yes. Oh, was she really? Doreen, Doreen, does that ring a bell? (laughs) You know, probably, you know, I, I, you know, that that time I was living in California and went back and I wanted to record it there. You know, Gucci was there and and, uh, Tutu and Tyrone Mm -hmm. and all the guys I grew up with. Yes. Wow, those names. Uncle Tutu, yes. Oh, goodness. Tony Salters and and, and Donald Brackens, you know, Tutu and and, uh, Tyrone Mm -hmm. and all the other. But anyhow. The, I got the picture here in, on my office wall, and, and it's all the guys sitting around, and the guys and girls from Harvey. And, you know, so it, it, the, the difference between working black audiences and white audiences, and I do a whole routine on that now, is that black audiences responded to what you were saying, not heckling, but if you went up on stage and, and you said, I just got him from saying, you know, to, to, to the black audience, it was like the amen corner in church. Right. So if you said something, <laughs> right. they, they would respond. If you went in front of an all-black audience and said, I just got him from St. Louis, some guy would holler out, my brother lives in St. Louis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and some woman would say, my sister Love lives in St. Louis. 
Yeah, he said, yeah, maybe she knows my brother, and they'd talk among themselves for like 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> it was, you had to learn to get into their rhythm, or, and they get into yours, right. but that was the only difference, you know, uh, between the audiences. But uh, I would always, I've, I've said this my whole life, it's not patronizing, the hottest audiences I've ever worked in front of my life are all black audiences. When you got them, when you got them, you know, they, you know mm-hmm. and, and they wanted you to work because they've been working hard all week long before this ticket to come in. You got to do a show. You know, no half yeah, step in here. You got to. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I mean, I because I, I just think about when we're all in a room and we're all so diverse in the room. It's it's all those differences that just really and and I can always expect black folks are going. They really become totally connected to the moment and. Um, the, what's the word? Vulnerability. That's what, I, you know, uh, you know, if you tell a joke about I didn't pay my rent, they said, well, my rent ain't paid neither. I mean, I've seen that happen in the audience. <laughs> they don't have a problem putting it out there. Here's a question, because, you know, you go from the Chitlin circuit to Frank Sinatra and all, give us a, 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 you know, we don't, we, I didn't get to um, actually see his performance um, and several people. I'm a fan of Frank Sinatra and Liza Minnelli and, so many, you know, so many of these people, um, Harvey listeners out there, Harvey, Illinois listeners. Can you imagine someone that was born and raised on the same blocks have reached this plateau? Um, you have any cool stories you want to share with us about that experience? Well, it's it hard to describe. As a little boy, I shine shoots in all the taverns in Harvey and on the jukebox of these taverns were Sammy Davis Jr. and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and, uh, you know, Smokey, uh, you know, years later, Smokey. But, but as a little boy hearing Sinatra on the jukebox shining shoes singing, come fly with me, let's fly away. And years later, I'm sitting in this private jet and he's talking to me saying, we're on our way to Chicago, Tommy, we're going to knock him dead there. It was so surreal. It was so hard to be you know, that the, one of the reasons I stayed with Frank Sinatra all those years was he never knew how an, much in awe of him I was because I didn't. I picked up on that right away that he had millions of fans. He didn't need another fan. He wanted a pal, a buddy, you know. And and tour, I toured with Sammy Davis for three years as his opening act, and and he adored Frank. And he um he he would he didn't tell me about Frank and all those stories and all you know. So it it it, it was hard sometimes to describe how surreal it is to be walking out in front of twenty thousand people. I'll give you the scenario, Latanya and Joe. Here's the thing. When I first had turning with Frank, the f- one of the first places we worked was the Nassau Coliseum. So your assignment was, his, Hank, his road manager said to me, Tom, you've got to go out there. It's five minutes before the show. There's 20,000 people in that arena. And they're all around you. You're in the round. And I want you to go out there, and for the next 45 minutes, I want you to hold their attention. Oh, yeah, m- one more thing. I want you to hold their attention, but I want you to make them laugh for the next 45 minutes. And one one more thing, I want you to make them laugh when you want them to laugh. I want you to pull the strings on the emotions of 20,000 people. No props, no tricks, no charts, no special arrangement, no special lighting, no orchestra, nothing. Just you and 20,000 people. And one more thing, Tom, not one of them came to see you. Mm. Wow. (laughs) That's That's called genius. That's called genius, pure genius. No pressure. And of course, of course, I mean, that's a difficult audience. Nassau Coliseum, that's in New York, right? Out near Long Island? Sure. Sure. Right. And so, because I'm, that's a, and anything in any audience in New York is a tough audience. Now, our dad used to say, I said, Dad, where's your favorite place? He said, New York. I said, why? He said, because it's New York. Why? He said, because the audience will always tell you the truth. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 he always looked forward to his report card in New York. Isn't that something? 
Well, well yeah, we did those all with Frankie. We, we toured all around the country. In Hawaii, I performed in front of 40,000 people. You know, but, so, but it was rarefied air for me. I, wrote, I have a one-man show now called An Evening of Laughter and Memories of Sinatra. So it's 90 minutes of it's stand-up comedy, but then I segue to a bar, and I start telling stories, and pictures come on the screen authenticating my stories. You know, and, and I take the audience from, the, from that little boy, from Shining Shoes in a Bar, uh, in Harvey, Illinois, to one day carrying Frank Sinatra's coffin out of a church in Beverly Hills, California. So I mm. take them on the journey with pictures and video. And, and, uh, and, and it, the, the, it's hard to describe the experience, but I can't tell you how many times Frank would get in discussions with me about Harvey, and Sammy Davis did the same thing. You know, they'd ask me about Harvey. What was it like growing up there? Sammy was fascinated um, uh, about that, that experience. In fact, you know, one night working with Sammy at the Mill Run Theater, I used to do a lot of routines about Gucci and growing up in Harvey. And uh, Gucci came to the show, and I introduced him to the audience, and Sammy came running out of his dressing room and actually ran out to look <laughs> to see who Gucci was, you know. And then he, of course, brought him backstage and all that. You know, uh, I, I, I mean, I, Gucci, I, the name itself is, is, is interesting. Gucci. I never figured out how did, how did he end up with the name Gucci. Do you know by chance? Gucci. Gucci. Yeah, I really believe it was when he when he was a kid. Believe it or not, you know his name was Everett Nicholson. Of course, his yes. father was the mm-hmm. first black businessman in Harvey. His father had Nicholson Plumbing, and they were the first black business in Harvey way back in the day. You know, and and Gucci worked for him. That's something else I want to bring up about fathers and Harvey, if we can, at a moment. But I believe it was in Gucci as a kid. One of his answers: Somebody said, "How you do with a baby? Gucci, Gucci, Gucci." You know, you, you put your oh. fingers on the <laughs> Because he had such a pretty round face, yeah. Well, and I mean, by the way, you... the other thing too, yeah, he did. But the other thing too, he was the toughest guy of, of all everybody in, in West Harvey. Nobody, there was no mm-hmm. one tougher than Gucci, and he wasn't a street brother standing on the corner signifying and, and, and talking trash. He was quiet. He was the classic example of walk lightly but carry a big stick. You know, when the mm-hmm. gang started to move into Harvey, the Peacestone Nation and the Blackstone Rangers, Gucci organized neighborhoods of, of people. They would st- block neighborhoods, they would stand out in front of their home when the gangs were coming through the neighborhood to try to recruit young kids, and they would say, he would, Gucci would have grandmothers with broomsticks and, and fathers that were there and say, no, you're not taking our children. You're not going to take mm. our children. And that's how you take your community back. Or keep Absolutely. it, right? That's how you, how keep you it. do it. That's that sweet spot. Um, um, how about 61 appearances on The Tonight Show. Now, I've seen you on The Tonight Show. I mean, when we knew you were going to be on The Tonight Show, the entire family would hover around the television. Remember, Joel, back in the day how we knew yep. a black person was going to be on a show? Everybody Absolutely. So you were, you, <laughs> you were like one of the black folks on television. And so we were so proud of you. Give us an, uh, I mean, Tonight Show, The Tonight Show. It's, it's our, as I say, the leading show in, in Americans' history of really that created everything we have today. You have any cool stories for us there? Keep in mind, in 1975, wherever you went in America, people would say, what do you do for a living? You say, I'm a stand-up comedian. The next question out of their mouth was, oh, yeah, have you ever been on Johnny Carson? And if you hadn't been on mm-hmm. Johnny Carson, in the eyes of America, you weren't a comedian. There were other shows, but that show launched you. You know, once, once you did a show, so the pressure was enormous to get on that show. And then doing the show, the pressure is enormous. When I finally got, uh, got past an audition for them, 
they came to see me at a, at a club called the Comedy Store, and and they uh, I passed. They, I did twenty minutes of stand up, and they said, "Okay, uh, come to my office." I went to the office of this guy Craig Tennis. He said, "I saw you do twenty minutes. Show me what five minutes you would do if I gave you the Tonight Show." And I I did another five minutes. He said, "Take that line out. Take that line." Out. Okay, now show. He said, "Okay, you got it. You're on next Tuesday." Now, for one week, you call everybody in Harvey. The whole, what do you say, I'm going to be on the Tonight Show. I got there. They put me in makeup. They take you up to your dressing room. Uh, then they bring you down to the green room, and they ran out of time, and they bumped me. And I had to come back next week. And uh, get, same thing, in makeup, went up to the, my dressing room, bring you down to the green room, and they bumped me. They bumped me three times in a row. Uh, and finally, in oh, the fourth time, I'm in makeup, and Fred DeCordova, the producer, came in and said, I got bad news for you. I said, what? He said, you're going on tonight. Now, <laughs> 25, million, 25 million people watched that show. Not only did 25 million people watch that show, every agent, bookers, people from Vegas, managers, uh, talent coordinators watch that show, but my mom had everybody back in Harvey watching the show, you know, and, and if I didn't score, I couldn't even go back to Harvey, you know, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you a funny story. The Junction Lounge, for your listeners who don't know, was uh, Junction Lounge was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Franks, and we called her Doll and him 44. We called Mr. Franks uh, 44 because he was a bus driver and his badge number was 44. So we, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Mrs. Franks, they ran, they had a, a bar. But you couldn't swear in there. If you swore, they had a swear jar. And you'd, mm-hmm. she'd make you put money in the jar, and they'd have a party at the end of the year. She, she was like a mother and took no lip from none of us, from Gucci, from anybody. You know, She ran a tight ship. But she was the sweetest, nicest church-going lady I ever met in my life. And, and, uh, but, you know, she had, had the TV on every night, and she made everybody be quiet. Pull the juba. Tommy's going to be on. And then I got bumped. <laughs> and, and then and the next time I was going, she said, Tommy's going to be on. Well, I said, I'll go by. She pulled the she pulled the plug on the jukebox. Finally, the third time, the, you know, the, the third time I'm supposed to be on Tutu, the, you know, Tutu, my buddy Tutu, mm-hmm. he called mm-hmm. my house, and, and I'd gotten bumped. He said, hey, he, he used to call me Motor. <laughs> you know, he'd call me Motor for, for short for Motor Mouth. You know, he, he said, <laughs> hey, mm-hmm. Motor, mm-hmm. Motor, are you on this show tonight? I said, no, I got bumped. He said, he got bumped. Tyrone, play E11, and he hung up on me. It was an experience. Of, after I did my first Tonight Show, I, I got eight applause, and Johnny, it was so funny, I closed with this. Uh, I said, you've been a wonderful audience. This is my first appearance on The Tonight Show, and show business is a tough life. So if you like me, just if you like me, and you're Protestant, say a prayer. If you're Catholic, light a candle. If you're Jewish, somebody in your family owns a nightclub. Tell them about me, will you please? So I, I walked through the curtain and Johnny called me back out for another bow and I came back out to take a second bow and my, I never have stopped working from that moment. As, as you pointed out, Latanya, I did 61 appearances on the Tonight Show. I did over 50 on Letterman. I, I, I started doing... Uh, Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin, uh, Johnny Carson, Dinah Shore, Midnight Special, Rock Concert, Soul Train. Uh, Soul American Train. Like, <laughs> I'm the only white comedian ever to do Soul Train. You know, I did it several times. You know. and, and then let's not forget the most imp- motion pictures. You were in Spaceballs, Man on the Moon, The Rat Pack, Columbo, Touched by an Angel, Murder, She Wrote, Facts of Life. 
the WKRP Cincinnati. This okay, so a- I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. I've been holding on for a second. So as you stated, um, being on The Tonight Show uh, propelled the careers of a lot of comedians, um, I think more than any other show, if any other show ever did that. Um, and I'm sure and that I heard this, that you've been offered the opportunity to have your own sitcom, um, but you've turned that down. Why did you well, turn you, that you know down what? and I- choose... I studied acting in Chicago. And so I studied acting in L.A. and and I I always wanted to be a true stand-up comedian. I, I I can act. I studied acting and I can act. But stand-up comedy, you walk out, you 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 get the audience going, you you it, you get everybody laughing, you leave, they hand you a check, and you're on your way. When you're doing sitcoms, you're on with an ensemble group. Most who are fighting over you got one more laugh than they did. You know, a bunch mm-hmm. of spoiled. Prima Donna brats, for the most part, uh, and 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 you you're going to shoot like when I did Murder She Wrote or, or Columbo's or stuff. You get there at five thirty in the morning. You're in your trailer. You're reading your script. Then they put you on that night around eight o'clock at night. You know, uh, it it wasn't what I I love stand up comedy. I didn't love acting, mm-hmm. even though I can't act. You know, I I just did a movie a while back with Clint Eastwood, Trouble with the Curve, and and I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. He he he's one of those kind of guys. When he tells you eight o'clock, you're going to shoot at eight. When he tells you we'll be right. done at nine, whatever it is, you're gonna, he, you know, he, he knows how to make movies. Uh, I, I never, I, 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 uh, you know, Christopher Morley, the author, once said, success is living the life you want. And that was the life I wanted. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. You know, and, and when right. I was touring with Sammy or Frank and they'd offer me those, that would mean I'd have to quit touring with Sammy and Frank. And, and, right. and, and, and doing shows with Dean. And, and that's, that's what I wanted to do, you know. Um, you know, I'd, every year I'd go back to Harvey and run 26 miles wait, wait, from multiple uh, sclerosis. Hold, hold that note. I want you to share that story after our break because um, the engineers are giving me this little smiley face on the screen. Because <laughs> we could sit here for hours. <laughs> ah, the engineers have spoken. We have been online here for an hour on air. So I'd love to hear this. Well, I do want to say something be- before... What? Absolutely, we have to do that. We're gonna we have absolutely to. have you back. I hope you would join us again, uh, hopefully before the holiday if your your time permits. But I want to share this, and I want to quote what Frank Sinatra said, and he said, "Tommy is a master, a master of ceremonies." And and I love the fact that the word quintessential and comedian, and you have given us a, just a flawless example. Um, from coming from a small town and and celebrating diversity. And we love you for that. And we will always love you for that. And Harvey is so very proud of you. And I knew my dad was proud of you. And so was Uncle yes. John. And so yes. on that wow. note, they, have, they are like, get your butt off that air. <laughs> and I just want to say real quickly, too, that in my research of you today and watching all these old tapes and clips of you, um, the one thing that I, I realized and noticed that you are such an amazing spirit. I did not see one time that you did not just heap on wonderful comments about everyone that you've worked with. And it's no wonder that of all the comedians that Frank Sinatra wanted to work with you for as long as he did, because you are an amazing man. And I am so glad that um, I had an opportunity to, to talk to you today. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Well, let's do it again, and we'll get Jill to come back from China, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> right. do it in studio. That would be even more fun. That would be perfect. Absolutely. We love you. Sounds like a plan. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for tuning in to Not Just Talk Radio. You'll want to check out the next edition of the show next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 